I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We'll continue our study of Colossians today. It is always my goal to communicate things clearly and concisely. Uh, Sometimes I don't do that very well, and I feel like last week, uh, as I was attempting to explain some of the things from uh, Paul's letter, that I, I very quickly was running through some things Uh, So what I want to do today is slow down a little bit and just remind us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not meant to put a burden on us, but to lift the burden of the law. And so if we walk away from a church service, from a worship service that's about Jesus Christ, we shouldn't walk away feeling condemned because of our sin unless we have sin that hasn't been dealt with. If the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with our sin, if he has taken our sin upon himself, then we should walk away from a church service feeling very light and airy because we have freedom in Christ. And Paul gets that point across in Colossians. Uh, He deals with it very clearly in Colossians. And I want, want us to understand that the basic message of the gospel is one of freedom and not burden. Through the book of Colossians, and again, I just want to remind you that Paul is reminding us of the excellency of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus takes the forefront of everything that Paul talks about over and over and over. He talks about Jesus. He brings Jesus up and he points us to how great Christ is. And in contrast to that, how wicked and evil we are because we are not our own saviors. We do not save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We need a savior And Christ is the one that fills that role. He is excellent. And then because he is excellent, he is sufficient to meet all of our needs. The false teachers of Colossae had come in and they began to distract from Christ. And I think the danger for us is to be distracted away from Christ as well. Um, The false teachers came in and they did two things. Uh, Let me just remind you of this. They either pointed the believers there back to the Old Testament dietary laws and restrictions, and they said you have to follow these in order to to be a Christian. Or, like we're going to see today, they pointed them back to Greek philosophy, specifically in its Gnostic form. Uh, I know many of you, you, maybe you've heard that in passing, you don't know what that means. Uh, Let me just tell you that Gnostic thought is alive and well today. Uh, Much of what is passing for... Um, modern thinking is actually Gnostic thinking, primarily that either the body is evil or is of nothing, and we see that in what's happening with Bruce Jenner today, that the body is actually of nothing, and so he can do what he wants with his body. Uh, We see a lot of that in passing through, uh, in many Christian circles, that the body is either evil or is of nothing, and so you can do what you want with it. Well, the scriptures actually combat that, and we see that here today. Uh, in this passage, at, very, at the very best, false teachers, and this is what Paul gets across, that false teachers and false teaching actually leads to malnourishment in the church, awkward growth, and impoverished and immature Christians. And so Paul is pointing out to the Colossians and he's saying, look at how you're growing. Are you growing in maturity? Are you growing with healthy growth? Or is the growth that you're experiencing something more like cancerous? Because cancer grows very rapidly, grows very quickly, 
but it's growth that actually damages the body. And so Paul is pointing out, and he's saying, at very best, you can expect bad growth from false teachers. But at worst, Paul points out, and he says, if you believe the false teachers, then there's something much worse than bad growth, and that is that you remain dead in your trespasses and sin. Then Jesus Christ is not yours, and you are not saved. So Paul points these things out to me. And what's his remedy? Paul's remedy to this is not to give us more laws to follow. Paul's remedy to this is not to give us a checklist of things to do to make sure we are growing correctly. Paul's remedy is to find ourselves in Jesus Christ. It's to preach Christ. It's to continually go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To not put more burdens on people, but to remove the burden of the law more and more. And to show us the excellency and sufficiency of Christ. And Paul does that again today in this passage. Let me read this for us. Uh, this is, I'm going to actually start again at verse 16, but I'm going to focus today. Uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 20 through 23, starting at verse 16. Hear God's good and kind and freeing word today for you. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, all referring to things that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Our Father, we do thank you for this word. Lord, again, we ask and pray that you would communicate the freeing gospel of your Son to us through it. Lord, we thank you for your good and kind word. And we do pray and ask that we would see your son. In Christ's name, amen. I want to look at this very quickly in three ways. I want us to see that as Christians, Paul says we're dead to worldly regulations. And that's in verse 20. Secondly, in verse, verses 22 through 20, or 21 and 22, he says we're dead to human precepts or human teachings. And then finally, he says we're dead to self-promotion. So, dead to worldly regulations, dead to human precepts, and dead to self-promotion. That Christians find themselves in this way. First of all, as Christians, we are dead to worldly regulations. Look at verse 20. Paul begins with a conditional statement. This is a logical statement, a conditional statement. It's an if-then. If, with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, you have to supplement this, then... Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to worldly regulations? 
If you're dead to the world, then why do you submit to the world's regulations? If you're dead, then why do you act like you're alive? It's very logical. It makes a lot of sense. You are a dead person to the world. You died with Christ, and therefore the world's regulations have nothing on you. You should not submit to them. By submitting to worldly regulations, what are you doing? You're being illogical. This is Paul channeling his Mr. Spock, right? It's just not logical. And Spock says that over and over in the Star Trek series, if you like those. But he says, it's not logical for you as a Christian to to submit to the worldly regulations. Why? Because it's very simple. You're dead to those worldly regulations. And so the question for Paul, and the question that Paul once again presents to us is, how are you saved how are you saved? The worldly regulations are, and they tell you that you are saved by what you do or don't do. You're saved by keeping the law. That's what the world says. And that's a matter of religion. Over and over and over, every religion outside of biblical Christianity says that it's up to you to keep the law. So do this or don't do this. Touch this, don't touch this. Eat this, don't eat this. Drink this, don't drink that. Do these things over and over and over. And maybe, just maybe, you can do enough. And the cosmic being that's out there that keeps track of all these things says that you have done enough to make him happy and he lets you into his eternal bliss. That's what every religion, that's even what atheists believe, even though they claim to not have any religion. Because they say it's up to them to be good and to do the right thing. Everyone believes that they have to do what's right. But that's not what biblical Christianity says. That's not what Paul teaches here. He says, in Christ, you died to those worldly regulations. You died to the keeping of the law. That it's not up to you to do those things in order to be saved. Salvation is not a matter of keeping the law. Because Christ has, in Christ, you were dead to the law. And in Christ, also, he kept the law for you perfectly. So it's not up to you to do those things. Christ has earned salvation for you. And Paul says, then why are you going back and trying to keep the law in order to save yourself? You're already saved if you're in Christ and if you're dead to the law. So we see in this the worldly teaching or cosmic dogma versus Christ teaching or Christ dogma. We're dead to the world and we're alive in Christ. Now, this is not a license for Christians to go crazy and to do whatever we want to do because we're free. But what we're free to do is obey Christ and to live to Christ. And we're going to actually see in chapter 3 that Paul lays out how we do this. And so starting next week, we're going to see the way that Paul lays it out. And he says, look very quickly at verse 3, at the things he says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things on earth. For you have died, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, is who, Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He gives another conditional statement, and he lays out for us how it is that we're to live our life. But we're not to live according to these laws and rules so that we can be saved because we already are saved in Christ. Again, it's not a license to go crazy But it's a call to loving obedience to Christ because of what he's done. And the key here is faith in Christ. If you believe in Christ, if you are his, then we are free from the regulations of the law. If you are not, then by all means keep the law because according to your philosophy and your view, that's the only way that you can be saved. 
But for Christians, for those of us who are Christians, the key is faith in Christ. Completely free, completely saved, because he's done it and he's finished it for us. So that's the first thing we see, that we are dead to worldly regulations. Secondly, we see that we are dead to human precepts. Look in verse 21 and 22 of chapter 2. He says, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. Uh, What he teaches us here is human morality, merely human morality. And essentially this, this consists in avoiding certain things. What does he say? Well, he actually gives three categories of things and three categories of teaching Uh, that humans typically say. They say, do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. Do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. Uh, The first teaching there is do not handle. What does he mean by that? Uh, This gets back to uh, the notion of filling up your belly. Um, Filling up your belly uh, or or being full of your appetites. Uh, So do not handle means do not touch the things that fill your appetites. Uh, the Greeks had this thinking that there were greater appetites and lesser appetites. And the further on your body that you went, the further down you went, uh, the lesser the appetites were. So the appetites of the mind and intellectual stimulations, they were the very best things. But the appetites of the lower regions are the very worst things. Okay, you can, uh, I'll just let your, your mind wander over those things. And they would say... Uh, the higher you went in your, your, in your body, the greater the appetites. The lower you went, the lesser the appetites. And they would say, don't fill your lesser appetites. And so much of Greek thought, much of Gnostic thought, actually said that you are to stimulate your mind and not stimulate any other parts of your body. Your lesser appetites. So things involving your hunger, don't fill those things up. It's good to feel hunger. Now, anybody that's ever felt any hunger knows it's not good to feel hungry. But... They would say, hunger or other appetites, don't fill those things because those things are evil. Avoid those things. But here's what the Bible does and the Bible teaches. And Paul says, don't listen to that. Why? Because Jesus Christ made your body. He made you with your appetites. He made you to hunger and desire things. And those things are not bad in and of themselves. This is where Christian teaching is very important for us because Christians teach that the body is good. The body is good and the body with its appetites is a good thing. You were made to feel hunger because hunger tells you you need to eat and you need to eat in order to be alive and that's the way that God made the world and that's a good thing. So don't avoid these things. Your appetites aren't evil. What's evil? Your heart is evil. And unduly giving your appetites, giving yourself over to those appetites in ways that are not right, that's the problem. And so gorging yourself on food when you're hungry, that's the problem. Eating more than you should, right? When it comes to sex, not using sex in its proper place, that's the problem. Sex was intended by God to reflect Him and His glory and His love for the church. Can you imagine that? That what we're doing here is meant to reflect God's love, and he gives us sex as a way to reflect that in a marriage union between one man and one woman. Sex is a good thing. As a church, we need to talk about that more and more and more because now what you have in the world is people that look out and say, well, the church says that sex is bad, and people don't know how to use sex. Well, we have this teaching here that says, no, sex is good. The body is good in its proper context and the way that God designed it. 
The problem comes when you use these things, when your evil heart makes use of these things in ways that God never intended. So your desires are not bad. And what the world says is, do not handle, stay away from these things. Well, no, their proper teaching is, no, use them appropriately. They are good things given to us by God in order to be used appropriately. Secondly, he says here, do not taste. And again, think about your appetites and think about your desire for things that taste good. Uh, The Greeks would have said, many of the Greeks would have said that, no, your tastes are the thing that's bad. And so just don't enjoy the food that you eat. And Paul looks at that and says, that's madness. That's madness. And actually, we just read this. If you eat or you don't eat, what do you do? You eat to the glory of God. And so if you enjoy something, great. Your senses are not evil. Your tastes are not evil, but Jesus made your senses. Use them to glorify God. Things that feel good are not evil because Christ made those things. In their proper context, they are good. And then lastly, uh, he says, do not touch. Uh, This reminds me back of Genesis chapter 3, whenever the serpent came to Eve and the serpent said to Eve, uh, what, did God really say that if you eat of the tree, you shall die? And what did Eve do? Eve actually added to the word of God. And she said, yes, he said, if we eat it and if we touch it, then we will die. But God never said anything about touching the fruit. He said, if you eat it, then you will die. But Eve adds to God's word, trying to be more holy than God and says, no, we cannot touch it. God never said that. And so Paul says here that, People will come out and they will say to you, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. But God never says that. Touching something makes you unclean, the world says. But that's not what God's word says. It's not a matter of something on the outside that makes you unclean. Garland mentioned that today, that even Jesus taught that. What makes you unclean, it's what comes from the heart. The world is not evil, but we are evil. Our hearts are evil. But if in Christ we have been we are dead to the world and we have been raised to new life, then we have been made clean and therefore the world around us is not something that we should avoid or stay away from. And we should not follow these human um, teachings. It's a matter of external religion and the things that happen on the outside versus internal transformation. All false religion tells you to clean the outside. To work on the outside. That what needs to happen is your outside needs to be okay. But Christ says it's not about what's on the outside. It's about the heart that matters. And Christ deals with the inside by taking your old heart of sin and giving you a new heart. Christians have died to the external regulations of the world. And then Paul says that human precepts, this is his argument, that why should you not handle these, or why should you not bother with these regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? He says, because they all perish, referring to things that all perish as they are used. He says, why are you so concerned with the things that don't last? Consider the things that do last, namely Jesus Christ and his eternal kingdom. Don't focus so much on the temporary things, focus on Christ who lasts forever. We'll see that again even more next week. And then the third thing he says in verse 23 is that Christians have died to self-promotion. We live in an age of self-promotion. We live in an age where you cannot turn on the news without somebody submitting some kind of press release about how great they are or the wonderful things that they've done. And we actually buy into that a lot of times so that when we come to a place like this, Faith Presbyterian Church, 
where we're meant not to be self-promoters, but Christ-promoters, what happens? Well, we get all dressed up. We try to make sure that today of all days we smell good. Okay, We try to make sure that no one sees all of the things on the inside that are really going on. And we put our best foot forward and we say, this is it. We are good. And we become self-promoters. But Paul says that in Christ we have died to self-promotion. In Christ... Just by showing up here today, what you are proclaiming is not that you are great. You're proclaiming the opposite, that you are a wretched sinner. That's actually what you proclaim by showing up here today, that you are a wretched sinner, that you have nothing good in yourself to promote to the world. I don't care how good you smell. Kids, I don't care how good you smell, right? It's not about... How good you smell, how good you look. Because in Christ, what we actually are telling everyone is that we are sinners. And that we are sinners in need of God's grace. But what does the world do? The world actually, this is what he says in verse 23. uh, All of these things, the teachings of the world, have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. They have an appearance of being wise and good. They have an appearance of being all of these great things. In asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All of the self-promotion of the world, all of the things, all the press releases that individuals put out about themselves. Look at me, I'm good because I can do X, Y, or Z. I'm good at baseball and therefore I'm good. I'm good at my job and therefore I'm good. I'm a good wife and therefore I'm good. I'm a good whatever it is and therefore I'm good. All of these little things that we do to promote ourselves are of no value in doing what really matters. And Paul's point there is he says they don't actually stop the indulgence of the flesh. In Christ, we are meant to grow up, grow to maturity, to be mature Christians. And if we're to be mature Christians, we have to stop actually putting out our press releases. We have to stop trying to convince people that we're good because in Christ, we're actually confessing that we are not good. We promote ourselves oftentimes because we deep down believe that it's up to us to save ourselves. It's up to us to get everyone on our team. And if we can get enough people believing that we're good, then maybe, just maybe, God's going to be convinced that we're good in and of ourselves. But it doesn't work. God knows the heart. He knows who you truly are. And in Christ, we are dead to self-promotion. We have no need to put ourselves forward. We have no need for anyone else to think that we're good or great. Why? Because we have the only validation that we ever need. And what's that validation? That we are children of God by the work of Jesus Christ. Do you see how freeing that is? Isn't that freeing? Women, isn't that freeing? Moms, so much of the world out there says that you have to present yourself and do these things. There are 85 things. You can go to a website and you can look up how to be a good mom. And and this website will tell you 85 things that you have to do on a daily basis just to be a good mom. In Christ, those 85 things are out the window. In Christ, you know what it takes to be a good mom? Faith in Christ. Christ is the center. Christ is the focus. Because in Christ, he's met the requirements of the law. He's done it all for you. Isn't that free? That means that we don't need the things of the world to validate our existence or to tell us that we're good. We can be absolute failures and say, I am a failure, but Christ is my victory. He is my success. It's not about us. And Paul points us back 
to the reality that it's about Christ and not about us. We need more of Christ and less of our self-promotion. And actually, that's the great thing about this church and what we do in a worship service. That's what we do in what we're about to do with the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper, not Kenny's Supper, not Ryan's Supper, not Rim's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. And we're confessing certain things about ourselves, that we have been invited to this table by the King of Kings because of His work for us. You confess by partaking of this meal that you are a dirty, unclean sinner made clean by the King of the universe. By his work, because he took the law upon himself. The Lord's Supper is the end of yourself and the beginning of Christ. And it preaches again the good news over and over and over. And so this meal is a meal for dirty sinners like us. Who have leaned upon and completely found ourselves in the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this meal there's actually an invitation To taste and see that the Lord is good. Not taste and see that you're good enough. But to taste and see that He is good. And He is good for you. I pray and I hope that all of you are dead in Christ. And are dead to the world and alive in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word again. We thank you that in Christ we are dead to the world and we are alive to you. I pray that you would remind us of that gospel even today, that you would remove the burden of the law from us, that we would be people who obey your law out of a delight because of Christ completely fulfilling the law for us on our behalf, making us right before you, giving the only validation that we need. I pray that you would communicate that to us through your word and also as we partake of your supper here today. We pray this in Christ's name. Invite the elders to come forward, prepare the table for us.